What's up guys and welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel podcast where we talk all things MMA. The major thing I'm going to get to right away is the audience cancellation of events pretty much. We are going to have UFC events with no audiences. So I think they're going to do the for the Chicago car with Engano versus Rosenstrike. They're doing it this weekend. I don't know if they're going to do the next card and it seems like they're going to be doing it for UFC 249 which is one that gets us all on edge because that is the Habib versus Tony fight. So it potentially can't happen in New York. York, or there's going to be no audience if worse comes to worse they're just going to put the fight in vegas and the apex facility of the ufc which is going to be pretty epic in its own right because that'll be the first time they're going to have a fight there an official card but again it's going to have no audience we're going to see this weekend how much it changes the fights because the ufc in brasilia is going to be the first event in ufc history that's going to have no audience at all so we're going to be hearing everything that happens in the cage we're going to hear all of the corner advices like clearly it's going to be very similar to some of the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series as well as the tough fights, the Ultimate Fighter fights, right? But it's going to be extremely high level. It's going to be the highest of levels when we go to UFC 249. I mean, Habib versus Tony Ferguson, looking at it now, it might actually hurt the experience, at least the excitement that comes with this spectacle. But the fight doesn't have much of a spectacle. It's just a high level fight between two very interesting personalities that don't like to trash talk too much. Most of their antics happen actually in the cage. But looking at the positivity in all this, it might even make the fight even more high level or make the fighters a lot more focused because there is no audience. There's no noise in the background. So they could just focus on their opponent. We might even hear their trash talking back and forth. It might actually be better. I just hope it doesn't get canceled. Man, first we get injuries. I think Tony Ferguson at one time was defending takedowns against a wall. And something was leaking or something happened to his body. Habib got injured a couple times. And Tony Ferguson fell over a cable. And now we have a global pandemic that might cancel the card. Global pandemic may be a bit of a stretch to call it. Maybe because a pandemic is when an epidemic pretty much spreads across a large amount of people and is actually the coronavirus spreading over a lot of people comparing it to some other sicknesses there definitely seems to be a bit of fear mongering around the whole situation i mean the media and people who aren't really experts just talk about how scary it is and how bad it is but then when you actually listen to the medical experts at least of what i've heard they've pretty much said that it's a bit exaggerated and the fear that the media is displaying is not justified although it should be met with a level of concern but definitely the whole coronavirus is something to be serious about. So a big question is, should the UFC actually go on and cancel events rather than having them with no audiences? I look at the MMA media and there's a bit of negativity going on. You know how the MMA media usually is. They like to get the clicks off of negativity. But generally, it looks like they think the UFC should hold off the UFC events and compensate the fighters. That's a bit easy to say, right? Now, I understand I'm all in for the fighters getting paid, not fighting and compensated, all that stuff. But it's just not going to happen. Happen, right it's just wishful thinking at the end of the day it's not gonna happen so the fighters will have to fight to make a living and yes although it is true that the fighters are secondary concern for the UFC because they took away the audience and not the fighters so the audience is the primary concern because there's more of them obviously right it's logical and the thing is the fighters even if they're not going to be traveling they're still going to train and spar constantly there's articles saying that MMA is the closest contact sport there is so the fighters shouldn't be competing but they don't know that they're still going to train and spar regularly on a daily basis. So you're not stopping them from creating contact with other people by canceling the events. You're not going to save a fight. The only thing is they're not traveling as much, right? To fight, they usually have to travel. And that's the biggest concern when it comes to the health of 
the fighters, but the fighters just generally, it seems like they don't care that much. A lot of them seem to have very strong immune systems. Maybe not when they're cutting weight, possibly. I don't know how the immune system gets affected by weight cutting, but just generally speaking, they seem to be very healthy people. They're younger people in their 20s to 30s, early 40s, if you give that. And that generally correlates to a stronger immune system. Also, the fact that they're in very good shape, they're in good health, and they just want to go and make a living, fight and do what they want. Now, my opinion on all of it is whatever the UFC wants to do, I'm all for it, right? If they want to cancel events, I'm in for it, right? The health of the fighters is something to take into consideration. But if they don't, they're doing what they're doing. I'm just going to watch the events. Either way, it's whatever. One thing I just don't like about the whole situation when it comes to MMA media and just overall the whole spectrum of people talking about this whole thing is there's a giant level of fear that people want to impose on others. We've seen it many times before, right? I understand it's a different situation. I just don't like the whole elevating the fear levels on everybody about it. It is definitely something to be concerned about in MMA in general. But in my opinion, we should try to keep a level-headed optimism about the whole thing, be logical about it when we are trying to take it seriously. You have Dana White trying to go through the whole thing, right? He most likely is getting information. He talks to the president. I'm pretty sure he talks to medical officials and medical experts all the time. And he has decided that he's going to carry on the events without an audience. And I don't really see many medical experts coming out and saying that this is the wrong thing to do. At the end of the day, Dana is trying to maybe capitalize on keeping the events and making money out of it, or he just sees it as something that is pretty safe to do, just keep the fighters to fight. And if worse comes to worse, we just ship Tony and Habib to the moon to fight. We just televise it. I mean, we have to have that fight happen. I will never be happy until I see that fight. The low gravity may favor Tony Ferguson, because when will they ever hit the ground? You know, if Habib goes for a takedown, It'll take a couple seconds before they hit the ground. Maybe Tony can scramble a bit before they get there and they just flip onto their feet again. That's when Tony starts working his magic. And not just the virus, but we also still have the possibility of one of the fighters not making weight. We still have the possibility of one of the fighters getting injured. There's still so much, so many obstacles in the way. This whole no audience thing is just the start of it. I hope nothing happens. It's a good card in general, not just the main event. You know, I don't want to miss any of that. I hope it happens. And now let's go to the drama of the UFC. Ryan Ortega went up to a guy named Jay Park, who is Korean Zombie's friend, translator at times, and little did I know, a huge K-pop or hip-hop artist globally. I did not know this. I thought he was just Korean Zombie's translator. Well, Ortega went up to Jay Park and slapped him with little warning. And this all happened after Korean Zombie got up from his seat and went to the restroom. Ortega was in the same seat in a very close proximity to Korean Zombie and Jay Park for like two hours before he did anything. Waited until Korean Zombie got up and went to the restroom, and then he confronted Jay Park and slapped him. Now the thing is, he had a problem with both Korean Zombie and Jay Park. And before I get into my opinion of the whole thing, the story why he slapped Jay Park and the story around why he's even mad in the first place, it all stems from an interview with Earl Hawani when Korean Zombie said that Brian Ortega ducked him when they were mashed up together. Jay Park was the unfortunate man who went and translated it, right? He translated that Korean Zombie said, well, Ortega at the end of the day got butthurt by the whole situation. Well, he went up to Instagram after and told Jay Park, don't be surprised if I slap you on site, pretty much something in those words. And Jay Park was just like, don't shoot the messenger. You know, I'm just translating here. But it turns out after this all happened, Brian Ortega thought that Jay Park was the one that told Korean Zombie to spice up some kind of beef between them or, you know, promote the fight a bit with some entertainment and just trash talk. Well, it turns out the Korean Zombie didn't have anybody telling him 
telling him that, or at least he's not saying that he did. Korean Zombie said that he thought of everything. He was the one that actually thinks that Brian Ortega ducked him, and he's extremely mad of the whole situation, not only because, of course, Brian Ortega slapped his friend, who's not a fighter at all, way smaller than Ortega, and he's pretty innocent in this whole situation, but he waited until Korean Zombie went to the bathroom to do all this, which shows not only a bully mentality to pick on someone like Jay Park, but also, it shows to everybody that Ortega's in a way scared of Korean Zombie. He's afraid to confront him. You know, he went into the fighter that he potentially can face, who actually said this, to leave. So he picked on his smaller friend who doesn't fight. And didn't have anything to say against Brian Ortega besides just translating. Very dumb for Brian Ortega to do this. And just shows what his mentality is actually like. I understand he comes from the streets and he lived that whole lifestyle, but man, this ain't it. You don't just go and pick on people for no reason. Yeah, I know some people have the idea of, you're that man's friend, you'll get it on site too. I understand the whole thinking. It's a dumb way to think, but it turns out Brian Ortega didn't want to go that sort of way. He actually thought it was Jay Park's fault. And he apologized after with a very weak apology. And I'm very surprised Henry Gracie went on with it. Very shocked at Henry Gracie. And this is really bad for the Gracie name because Korean Zombies had it best. He rolled with Henry Gracie in the past. He trained with him before. And he thought a guy like Henry Gracie would be one to bring Brian Ortega to the back and explain to him why he did it wrong and scold him. But to see him actually back up Brian Ortega, after all of us knowing how Henry Gracie is, he's a very humble person, very positive and hates that confrontation garbage. He's the one that actually supported it. Man, I am not mad at Korean Zombie being mad at all. But I think the police report has been filed. So a very dumb situation that Ortega put himself in. He's definitely not looked as the good guy of the sport, as we all thought. We thought him and Korean Zombie were like the good guys of the sport who would get no confrontation or fights outside of the cage. That tends not to be true. I don't blame Zombie at all. I don't think anything less of Zombie. I just think more of him now because he's the one that's sticking up for his friend. And when they go and fight each other, which is most likely going to happen, Dana White said that that's the fight that's probably going to happen. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be very exciting to watch it. A lot of people are going to be rooting for Korean Zombie. It might actually bring those K-pop fans to watch the fight. It's going to be a pretty big fight with a lot of heat in it, especially from Korean Zombie's part because it seems like Ortega is apologizing and stuff. So he might not get into it too much with Korean Zombie. But at the end of the day, Ortega must know what he did was wrong. And if he's going to go into the fight with a the guy they initially had something with, it might play negatively in his head and take him out of the fight just a little bit for a split second when they're in there. I mean, he's going to be in front of the man that was in the right of all of this. He waited to leave his seat so he can go and try to punk out his friend. He's going to be fighting that guy. Whether he's scared of Korean Zombie or not, I don't think he is. That whole situation is 100% going to play a factor in Ortega's mindset. Also, the fact that he knows a lot of people are probably going to be rooting for him to lose after getting so much support before all this for a lot of things he was doing. So it turns out Ortega actually put up a lengthier apology because that first one was absolutely so weak. It took him a while to make this. So I don't know what that says, but he pretty much says, quote, my pride is my enemy. And over the last couple days, I've been battling it. I hope you understand that I'm human and I'm flawed in more ways than one. In the beginning, I justified my actions based on the series of events that led up to Saturday, but I now realize that what I did was wrong overall. My parents taught me dignity and respect, and I didn't show that. My coaches have always taught me that martial arts are to empower the weak against the strong. On Saturday, that didn't happen. Isn't that kind of weird about Henry Gracie taking part to take a side? So I don't even know if his coaches, maybe his coaches did teach him that, but the coach's response was pretty weird. And then he continues. When I make a mistake, I own consequences. But in this case, the negativity that I have caused has spilled over to people closest to me. And that's how I know what I did was truly wrong. I'm sorry to you guys and my family. I apologize to Jay Park for my actions and the shitstorm that followed. You deserve to enjoy MMA from outside the octagon just like any other fan. 
I apologize to Korean Zombie for dragging your friend into an equation that should start and end with the fighters. Unquote. That's a good response. Especially that end there. But how much does he actually believe it? I don't know. And that's the thing we all don't know. And that's why a lot of people are still going to root for him to lose. Yes, I understand the whole apology. I'm a guy who accepts apologies. But in terms of Korean Zombie and stuff, I don't know if this is going to be it. I don't know if this is enough for him. He went on to be physical with his friend, with his innocent friend, and he waited until he left. An apology for that is not enough. When it is enough is when Korean Zombie goes and beats him in a fight. And to be honest, stuff like that, if he didn't or doesn't put out a necessary or genuine apology about it all, it is pretty hard to be unbiased about the whole situation, even for me. You know, I try to be as unbiased as possible when it comes to everything. But there are certain things it is kind of hard to not be unbiased for, right? When someone goes and bullies someone else, that's one of the least things for me, man. Bullies in general are some of the people I least like in this world. And it will be hard for me to say that I'm not rooting for a Korean zombie to win as well. Although the fight would probably happen in the summer, so my thoughts can change when that comes. Now looking at the UFC 249 press conference, because we talk about the whole cancellation and audience thing. That press conference was very, very weird. Now, a lot of people think that Habib got played with a bit. A lot of people think that Tony Ferguson got into his head. I don't see it. I understand he kicked the belt, but that might be just the in-the-moment thing. I mean, it was lying next to his feet, so it wouldn't take him that much to just kick it away. Tony Ferguson's actually the one that put it down against Habib's feet. I don't see it as getting into his head that much. He also said that it's a fake belt. It just seems like competition. That's what it seems like. It doesn't seem like anything personal. I understand Tony Ferguson got a little bit personal with some things he said, and then Habib responded as well with his personal, you know, you're not a real Mexican thing. That is actually something that Fabrizio Verdun was telling Cain Velasquez as well, remember that? And that is one of Habib's friends and training partners, so it is a bit weird that Habib is using that same thing against Tony. But what they're saying is, if you're not from the country, if you don't live in the country that your ethnicity is based on, you are actually not a real that you know you're not an actual real mexican unless you live in mexico you're not a real russian unless you live in russia you know that sort of thing that was what fabrizio verdum at least alluded to and i think that's what habib is doing as well because tony ferguson is a mexican american so i see why habib said it obviously i don't agree with it and i did like tony ferguson's response to it when he says he's a proud mexican and a proud american he reps both of them and that was a very good response and if i'm not wrong i have to go watch it again but i believe he said that because tony ferguson says something about dagestan or he says something about the russians or something to that nature maybe you guys can uh fill me in there with that because i forgot it was a lot said on that press conference but at the end of the day the reason why i don't think habib has tony ferguson in his head is because Again, I heard this when the Connor thing was happening. It was actually more so said when that press conference happened and after it happened. It was a lot more people saying that Connor is in Habib's head. There were so many people saying that. More than people saying Tony Ferguson is in Habib's head. And it turns out maybe Connor was in his head, but not in the way that Connor intended. Because Habib went out there and smashed him, talked trash to him in the fight, and it just seemed like a regular Habib fight, mauling his opponent. The thing that told a lot of people that Connor got into Habib's head is the fact that Habib jumped the cage and went after Dylan Dennis. But if you actually look at what happened before he jumped the cage, I think one of Habib's managers is the Russian guy, not Ali Abdelaziz. I don't know what his name is exactly, but he's like a tall Russian guy, black hair. I think he has a pretty good hairline. Um, he was always wearing a suit. He's from Dagestan, I'm pretty sure. He's always with Habib. Well, he was walking up the steps, and him and Dylan Dennis went after each other just a little bit, talking and stuff like that. And I think one of them touched the other. I'm pretty sure, actually, Habib's manager is the one that touched Dylan Dennis. And that's when Habib went after Dylan Dennis because he thought that possibly something was going on. Does this mean that this wasn't fueled by what Connor was doing at the press conference? Probably not. Maybe Connor, what he said in the press conference, was actually fueled for Habib to act in such a drastic way. Now, the main thing is... 
maybe Tony is in his head in some way. But the real question is, is he in his head so much that Khabib is going to not fight his own fight? He's going to be a little bit too emotional and it will hurt his performance? Not at all. I do not see that at all because you have to take where Khabib is from into account. And I know some people do not like to hear that sort of thing. They want to think like everywhere is equal. But the truth is, every country, every nation, every province, every state, they're not equal. A lot of them are. But there's some places in the world where they breed different kind of people. In Dagestan, especially 80s and 90s, early 2000s, it bred very, very different people with different mindsets. I mean, we're talking about a war-torn region that became actually the poorest region of Russia for a pretty long time. War literally ran through that place. And we're talking about people who also live in the mountains who didn't have the same kind of technology that a lot of other places had. And it was said, I think by Khabib's father or someone else that said, during that era, the kids of Dagestan had two choices, go into war or go into a competitive sport such as Sambo and wrestling and other combat sports like that. And that is something a lot of places in the world do not have to face. It really all comes down to what has conditioned the fighter, right? What has conditioned guys like Habib and the Diaz brothers and Masvidal and these guys who come from a different background. Trash talking, fighting on the streets, violence, confrontation, conflict, all this stuff conditioned guys like Habib to take it as more of a normality. At some point, it becomes almost day-to-day -day kind of thing. So when they experience it in the cage or in a press conference against a competitor of a sport, it's not gonna get them. They know it's not that serious. Even going as far as fighting on the street, it's not gonna be anything different, right? That, it's even normal for them, right? If him and Connor found each other in the street one day and then they started fighting, Again, for Habib, that's not going to be anything out of the norm. Let alone talking trash and saying things about this and that. That's just the start of it for Habib. Some people will say, though, you know, Connor did get in Habib's head. He could have gotten into his head, but again, that is not the right question to ask. It's, did he get in his head to where it throws Habib off? No. Getting to the head of guys like Habib and Nate Diaz, Mazadal, you're not deterring them from what they're trying to do. You're not creating distracting anger. You're pretty much creating motivation, excitement for them because that is what is at home for them. Trash talking, conflict, all that stuff, if you start bringing it to them, they get more ready for the situation, right? And when Habib goes and says that he fought in street fights all the time and he had conflict all the time, I do not doubt that at all. When you're born and raised in a place like that, so tough, that you're born into it and you have to adapt to it, I don't doubt that he got in many street fights and fighting in general is just nothing to him because it was normal. It was something he did all the time in the training room with his friends and family or on the streets with someone who has a problem with them and they have pretty much nothing else to do. And that is why I knew Habib was not going to be damaged by what Connor said. And I think the same thing in this one. It's a little bit different of a direction that Tony Ferguson took, more of a competitive direction rather than a personal, family, religious attack. But even that, I don't see it hurting Habib at all. And it's weird because you saw the way Habib looked and how he reacted to many things that Tony Ferguson said to him. And then the interview immediately afterward, Habib looked regular, normal, like another day at the office. And there are some fighters in the UFC who are like that. You know, Nick and Nate Diaz are both from a place where a lot of things happen and mere words are just not going to get to them because, again, it becomes very normal to them. And there's other fighters in the UFC as well. I'm not just saying it's only Khabib, but there are fighters in the UFC who have that similar characteristic about them. A big example is Jorge Mazadal. I mean, it's crazy because when he's not in some kind of confrontation, he doesn't look super comfortable. But as soon as he's like trash talking with someone or about to get in a fight or he knows that something can happen, he seems like he's at home. He seems very comfortable about it. There's guys in the UFC who are absolutely like that. And it's not a shocker that they're in this kind of sport. So at the end of the day, 
I do see a very good fight. If anything, I see Tony Ferguson getting affected before Habib does because some of the responses Tony Ferguson gave Habib or some of the things he said made absolutely no sense. He told Habib to take off his glasses when Habib is not wearing glasses. He did many things that looked a little bit antsy, a little bit emotional for some reason. He just looked out of sorts. I don't know if it's his mentality. I don't know if it's his mental health. I don't know if it's him being affected by what Habib said to him. I don't know exactly what it was. But I don't expect Tony Ferguson to be hurt in the fight as well. I think he's too much of a professional. I think he's too experienced in the sport to actually fall for something like that. But we will see at the end of the day. And again, I'm going to go and say Tony Ferguson is still the only fighter in the lightweight division, I think, that's going to be able to compete with him in every single area of the fight. I was going to give an early prediction. But since the fight is so close, I'm going to wait until my prediction video, which I'm going to have earlier. Now, let's get to the questions because I know there's a lot of them. So if you guys are new to the podcast, new to the channel, if you guys want to ask me any question, make sure to reply under the community tab of my channel where I post questions for podcasts. Reply your questions under there. The questions with the most likes do get read first. And I answer any question as you will probably see in this podcast, no matter how ridiculous they are, if they are a top rated comment. I will read them. So we're going to go to the most liked question by Arik Rayford. Will we ever get a face reveal? Also, would you rather have Henry Cejudo and Colby Covington interrogate you, good cop, bad cop, for 72 hours or lay pipe with Gabby Garcia with lights on? Oh, man. Oh, wait. Oh, man. Those are not good images. I'm pretty sure the first one would kill me. And I know the second one would kill me. I gotta go with the first one, man. Better survivability. At least a little bit entertaining in the beginning. Who knows? They might fight each other. I'm sorry, man. I like to experiment with things, but that is a bit out of my league right now. And and as for the face reveal, yes, I will. I might want to do it when I start doing live podcasts or if I do one of those fight companion ideas live for a fight. One of the two, that's when I'm going to start it. And I think it's most likely going to be when I start doing live podcasts because I really, really want to do it. It saves me so much time. Podcasts take me a while. It takes me pretty much a whole day before I get them up. Aiden Williams, how do you feel about Diego Sanchez's DQ? So you remember when Diego Sanchez fought Michelle Pereira and he took the DQ loss? It was a very weird loss where he actually asked the referee after getting need when he was down. He actually asked the ref if he would win if he took the DQ and he went on to go on with that narrative, right? He actually said that he can't see and it should be a disqualification. So then the question continues. I hate to see people call him a quitter because he's the nightmare to me. But was he right to take the win? Like Wyman tried against Musasi. Or should he fight on like Anthony Smith did against John Jones, despite it being a certain loss? And your thoughts overall on the DQ rule, no contest, point deduction system for illegal strikes. Long-term fan, love your work, X. Thank you so much, man. And really interesting question. So Diego Sanchez has nothing to prove to us. He has shown throughout the years, he is a madman, wild man in there. He has heart for days. He's one of the toughest guys to ever compete. But those years of toughness, those years on display, he has showed us his toughness more than he should have. So taking this DQ and actually being smart was probably the right thing to do. He got the win at the end of the day, got the win bonus, right? I mean, he was losing the fight. It was in the third round. He was most likely not going to win. Even with that stone cold stunner technique that his weird coach was developing, nothing was going to work against Michel Pereira. He was a couple minutes away from losing. He was going to lose half of his money and go off on a loss. Yeah, taking the DQ will be pretty nice at the end of the day. A lot of people are going to probably forget about this because we know who Diego Sanchez is, right? If this was a new guy walked in there and he did this sort of thing, everybody would bash on the guy because he's not the ultimate fighter. He's not the nightmare. 
He's not the madman who went through wars that he shouldn't have. And a guy that we really, really hope he comes out of this sport healthy, where he's put his brain to the test many a times. Taking this DQ loss doesn't make him a quitter. It was just being smart. Maybe his coach told him, you know, if this ever happened, maybe you put him in that kind of mindset through all the training. Whatever it was, it was a good choice by Diego Sanchez because look what Anthony Smith did. He could have took the DQ win against John Jones as well, but he went through the whole fight and got demoralized and people forgot. Right, a lot of people just see that fight as Jones didn't look that great in it. It had nothing to do with Anthony Smith, right? He was very defensive and he didn't really put on a good fight at all. And my thoughts on the whole system, that whole DQ situation in the Sanchez fight, I agree with that whole thing. So I think the eye pokes should be an automatic point deduction. Knees to the head, because they could be so devastating and they can actually end a fight, there should be an option to have a DQ as the result. And then we go to Rasquan Shabaka. Can you start putting up polls in the prediction video so we can vote and you can compare our votes to your original thought in the recap video? I actually thought about this, but I don't know how to do it. Put up polls in the prediction videos. What do you actually mean by Because I actually really want to do this. So you mean probably put a link where you guys can go and put up your predictions and then we can all compare it and it could be some sort of contest. It'd be really cool. My thought on all this was I actually want to put up a website where everybody can participate and it'd be almost like a leaderboard sort of thing where the person who gets most of the predictions right or gets a high percentage, all that sort of stuff would be at the top of the leaderboard and maybe sometime I can give out some reward for like the top 10 placements, something to that. I really want to do that. I just don't know how to put that together. I have the idea, but I just don't know how to do the website. I don't know how to uh, actually program the website to do that sort of thing and have the rank update all the time. Maybe even have moderators and stuff. I don't know exactly, but if one of you guys who knows how to make a website specifically for that sort of thing, hit me up in my email or if you want to DM me on Twitter. And then we go to Ali Akbar Hussein Shah. Number one, Shah said it's more likely for Tony Ferguson to finish Khabib than the other way around. Do you agree? I do not. Although Tony can hurt Habib on the feet, although he can submit him if he gets in a very awkward position with the scrambles, I do think Habib has a better chance at finishing Tony on the ground with submissions, maybe even ground and pound, if the damage sustains throughout the fight. Number two, if Yoel Romero had Tony Ferguson's pace and pressure, would any middleweight in history be able to beat him? Which light heavyweights could beat him? I don't think any middleweight would beat him, not even Izzy. Right, imagine Neville Zewell Romero with Tony Ferguson's pace fighting Izzy that night. I don't think we'd ever see Izzy ever again. But uh, like heavyweights, I think Jones could still beat him. But that would be a very hard fight. But when you say pace and pressure, do you also mean the cardio? Because Tony has an insane pace. And if you don't have the cardio, you cannot last long going that quick. So I'm going to take in count cardio as well. I don't think anybody else at light heavyweight would beat him. Not even Reyes, not Smith, none of those guys. Jones might be the only guy that possibly can beat Romero. Then we go to Ket, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, Dlovu. How well would these fighters do in different weight classes? So John Jones at heavyweight, I think he'd do pretty well, but I think he will lose, especially when he crosses Francis Ngannou. Daniel Cormier at middleweight. If he can actually go down, I think he'd be a threat. He's gonna be stronger than pretty much everybody. His wrestling will be better than pretty much everybody. Besides, he will run into a fight against Uwala Romero. Will he become champion? Ah, oh, man, I don't think so. I think he will be a top contender. Right, so for John Jones, I think Jones would be like a top three fighter. Daniel Cormier, I think, will also be a top three fighter at middleweight, but I don't see him being the champion. I think he'll have a hard time against Izzy, and I think he'll have a very hard time against Romero. And also, a good fight against Robert Whitaker. Habib at welterweight. I think Habib will be the number one contender. I think he will lose to Kamaru Usman, but I think he beats everybody else. Jose Aldo at lightweight. I think he could beat Habib, right? He has a very good style against Habib, but it's the other guys that run into his way. 
right? Tony Ferguson's a bad fight for him. Justin Gaethje's a hard fight for him. Conor McGregor is a hard fight for him. All these strikers, all these bigger, powerful guys are going to be very hard for him to beat. But if there's a wrestler like Kevin Lee or Habib, that's when all those going to shine. And it's just unfortunate because the guy he has to beat, the guy he wants to beat is at the top. He has to go through everybody else to get there. And all those other guys would probably beat him. Kamar Usman at middleweight. I don't think he does that well. He's a much smaller guy. His striking is not up to par. It's not where it needs to be. He's not that fast, to be honest. And he will get put out by guys like Romero. He won't be able to get Izzy to the ground before getting sniped. Costa will absolutely crush him. I don't think Usman does that well at middleweight. Yoel Romero at light heavyweight. I think he does very well. I think he will lose to uh, John Jones for sure. Dominic Reyes would be a very hard fight for him. Everybody else, I think he competes very well up against. Santos could do something to him like what Cavalcante did back in the day. Like, get him in a very weird, awkward exchange on the feet, and he just catches Romero. That would be a very explosive fight. Everybody else, I think, gets dealt with. GSP at lightweight. Again, I don't know how he would compete at a lower weight class, but let's just say he looks normal. I think he would become champion. 100%. I think he would beat Habib. I think he would beat Tony Ferguson. Even though Ferguson, I think, would be a harder fight for GSP than Habib is. Connor would get absolutely dealt with. Justin Gaethje would get completely schooled, in my opinion. And everybody else would be an easy fight for him. Jessica Andrade at Flyway. She won't do that well. She did compete at 135, and she just could not deal with the pressure. She couldn't deal with the size, and the grappling was just overwhelming. At Strawway, she's so much stronger. She looks like an effective grappler, but... When she faces fighters with her level of strength, they completely trump her when it comes to the grappling, and especially the striking. I think, although because the flyweight division is pretty shallow, she would be like a top five fighter. She will absolutely never beat Valentina Shevchenko. She's going to have a hard time against Roxanne Mataferi, in my opinion. Roxanne's so much bigger than her, and so much better on the ground. And she's also a better technical striker, although not as effective. More technical, which can get her out of the way of some of those looping shots. Antonina Shevchenko would be an interesting fight because of the complete polar opposites of the spectrum when it comes to effectiveness. Andrade would be so much more effective on the ground, where Antonina would be much more effective on the feet. So I do see Andrade being very competitive with the top top five or three fighters. Brian Ortega at lightweight. I don't like it, man. I don't like it. Against Habib, I understand he has a good style. If it goes to the ground, he's one of the only guys in the UFC around that lightweight division that can compete with him. But man, his striking defense is so open. Like it's, there's nothing there. It's not tight. It's not solid. What is he going to do when he faces Tony Ferguson? You see what Max Holloway did to him? What would Tony do to him? What would a faster pace, more powerful, bigger, longer, more unorthodox and unpredictable Tony Ferguson do to him? Those elbows, all that stuff. I think he would finish Ortega. Conor McGregor. It'd be interesting if it goes past the second round, but I don't see Ortega lasting with all that damage. Justin Gaethje would be interesting because they're so wild together, but I do see him being a better striker than Ortega, especially offensive compared to uh, Ortega's defense. Ortega is a good striker offensively, but I think Gaethje's defense is better than Ortega's at the end of the day. You know, so ultimately, it's a very similar thing to uh, Jose Aldo. Even with a different style, it's the same kind of circumstances here. He's good against the champion, but he's not good against everybody else. Colby Covington at lightweight. And I do think Colby could make lightweight, to be honest. I think he does very well, actually. Very, very well. I think he has a good fight against Khabib. I think he has a good fight against Tony Ferguson. Right, He's a better wrestler in MMA than Tony is. He has very good pace and pressure to last with those two guys. So those are competitive fights. Look at him against everybody else. Justin Gaethje would probably be a very bad fight for him. If Gaethje can stop the takedowns constantly. We don't know about that. Because Gaethje hasn't really had to deal with the high-level wrestlers yet. Connor would lose. Guys like Barboza would lose easily. Kevin Lee would lose. You know, Charles Oliveira would probably lose as well. I think Colby beats everybody and has a competitive fight with Gaethje, Tony, and Khabib. 
Roy Nelson at light heavyweight. If he just shed that gut, yeah, he'd probably make it. No, he doesn't do that well at all. He's not nearly as technical as he needs to be for light heavyweight. I think a heavyweight Roy Nelson is the best Roy Nelson you're going to get. Because his striking is just so reliant on an overhand right. He has no movements. His takedowns aren't that great. He just has that one hitter quitter. And that's all you really need a heavyweight. Rose Namajunas at flyweight. I think she beats everybody besides Valentina Shevchenko. Present day Robert Whitaker at welterweight. Again, he's going to be greatly deteriorated from that weight cut. He's a big guy, man. Just because he competed at welterweight does not mean he's small at middleweight. He's a very big guy at middleweight. Look how big he was compared to Izzy. When we're talking about a guy who weighs five pounds less than Tyson Pedro who fights at 205. Bobby Knuckles is a big boy. But let's just say, let's just say he competes at welterweight the same way he competes at middleweight. I think he becomes champion. 100%. He completely stops all the takedowns. He puts all the wrestlers at a halt and just does to them what he needs to do on the feet. I think though Stephen Thompson's a hard fight for him. Jorge Masvidal is going to be a very interesting fight. Ponzinibbio will be another interesting fight. The strikers are going to give him a hard time. The wrestlers are going to be dealt with. So because a wrestler is the champion, he would become champion if he doesn't fight those strikers or if he's able to get past them. Tony Ferguson at featherweight, he claims he can make it. Tony Ferguson probably claim he can make women's strawweight. But let's say he competes at featherweight, he'd become champion. Easy. If he could fight with the same kind of effectiveness and efficiency. So really fun question, man. I like it. And then we go to Ali Bader. Did Adesanya's last performance tell us anything about how he would do against Jones? Also... What do you think of Habib Tony press conference? Love your content, man. Have a good one. Thank you so much, man. So Izzy's performance was very interesting because I don't think it showed us anything lesser of him, right? He's a counter puncher mostly. He doesn't like to lead fights and he fought a guy that wouldn't lead against him. So it was almost that Anderson, Damian Maya situation. It may look like Adesanya and Anderson Silva look like they're not that great or as great as we thought they were. But then look what Silva did after. He completely put the division on fire. Izzy might do the same thing. It's just we didn't see much out of them because they didn't show anything. So just because they didn't show anything, it doesn't mean nothing's there. But ultimately because it doesn't change my opinion of Adesanya's skills, it also doesn't change what I thought of his fight with John Jones in the first place. I think Jones is a little bit too much for him. And actually, I take back a little bit of what I said. It did show us something. And we should have known for a while. Because Adesanya doesn't like to lead, how is he going to fight John Jones if he doesn't want to lead? He has to be the one that gets in. He has to be the one to push the pace, get inside that long range. Because for the first time, he's fighting a guy bigger than him and longer than him. So now, actually, I think he has a harder time against Jones than I initially thought. Because Jones is just going to be on the outside, kick and punch, and wait for you to get in close so he can take you down. What's Adesanya going to do? Then he's going to be the Romero against John Jones, right? He's going to be the Romero in his fight when he faces John Jones. What is he going to do now? He has to go forward. He has to get uncomfortable. So that's a very interesting question. And then we go to Jack Cracker. Would Megan Olivi bang Dana White to save the flyweight division for her husband, Joe? The division's around still, isn't it? And not only that, Joe B got his rematch. He just got knocked down and got immediate rematch. Olivia's doing her part, Joby, you gotta capitalize on this one. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, can we actually talk about this? So Benavidez got knocked up by Figueiredo in the second round of their title fight. But Fig missed weight before, so he's not the champion. He couldn't win the belt. And they're doing an immediate rematch. And the reason we were given was Fig missed weight. There was a headbutt in the fight that might have caused the knockout. Even though it was Benavidez's fault, he's the one that headbutt Davison. All right, we're going to do a rematch. What I think actually happened is there's not many fighters in the division. There's not a clear-cut next contender. 
and this is probably the biggest fight you can make in the division right now. And there's a little bit of controversy, so, you know, we need a champion, we gotta do something here, and I think they do want Benavides to win because it also sets up a fight potentially down the line with Henry Cejudo at 135, or it brings Cejudo back to 125. But all in all, this is not good because Benavidez got knocked out cold for a set. He got knocked out. He got put unconscious in the fight. I don't think Benavidez should be fighting for months. And I think they want to do it in the summer or something like that. This is not good for Benavidez. This is really not good. He's going to get put up against that monster again. Davidson Figueredo does not belong at 125. He's a huge guy. He walks around 165. Think about that. He walks around heavier than some featherweights. And he fights at flyweight. He weighs more than most bantamweights. No wonder he missed weight. He should be at bantamweight 100%. And in the future, he could be a featherweight. I would love to see him at bantamweight. Absolutely love it. Imagine Davis and Figueredo versus Mullen Rice. Imagine him fight Henry Cejudo. Those are fights you cannot miss. And it's a shame a lot of people don't know about him yet. Even after the knockout win, people were just talking about Benavidez and how it was terrible that he never got his title. But here's the truth, man. Not everybody can become a champion. Not every fighter is good enough to be a champion. You can't just reward belts because they've been doing it for so long, right? I understand you could feel bad for someone who is chasing it and getting close every time. But just some fighters are not on that level. They lose to the better guy. Figueredo is the best fighter in the division and that's that. He should be the one that's the champion if he just didn't miss weight. And that is another reason why some people are happy about Benavidez getting this rematch but you have to look at outside of the box. The guy got knocked out unconscious by a powerful guy and he's gonna be fighting him again pretty soon too. This is not good for his health. I don't think he's gonna come in there with a fresh chin. I think it'll be easier for Figueredo to knock him out. And the other thing is Benavidez has taken a lot of punishment in his career. This isn't the first knockout loss. Remember when he got starched by DJ in the first round? He's got dropped multiple times in his career. Yeah, not the greatest decision in my opinion. And the other thing is, you're going to give Benavidez his final title shot under these kind of circumstances. I do not think we're going to see the best Benavidez in the rematch. I think we're going to see a lesser Benavidez than we saw in this one. And, of course, Benavidez is going to take the title shot. Who wouldn't? Now, I'm feeling bad for Benavidez. And then we go to another question by Rasquan Shabaka. Looks like a lot of people like your questions. Current champions versus the GOAT of their division. Okay, we'll start with heaviest to lightest. Stipe versus Stipe. I don't know, it's kind of hard. Um, we'll say Stipe versus Fedor, okay, because it's the next guy. That'd actually be a very competitive fight. Prime Fedor? Fast hands, very good chin, power to knock out Stipe with any shot, better grappler, not going to want to go to the ground with Fedor. You know what? I think Fedor beats Stipe. I think he's just a little bit too quick. He's like a better striker and better grappling version of Daniel Cormier, and also faster in many ways with better defense. I think Fedor would beat and catch Stipe eventually. Light heavyweight John Jones versus himself, the only guy he can't beat. We'll say John Jones versus Chuck Liddell. Jones destroys him. There's no need to analyze that. Adesanya versus prime Anderson Silva. I know after seeing their fight together, a lot of people think a prime Anderson would beat Adesanya, but I think Adesanya beats Anderson. Here's the thing. They both do not like to lead fights. As Anderson got older, he led fights a lot more because it just seems like he doesn't care. As old as it is, he just wants to fight for fun. He's not fighting for money and he will do it, whatever. But when he was in his prime as a champion, he didn't want to lose the belt and he was being a lot smarter. So he wasn't leading fights. So I do see it being a lot more boring, but Silva would have to do something because Adesanya is longer. He's a sniper. He's very technical as a striker. He's not going to put himself at that much risk. So he would also be able to strike at Silva from the outside. Does that mean Silva can't counter him? No, Silva can counter him. Silva has very good head movement, but generally is when he's moving away. We have seen him at times, like I think when he fought 
Yushin Okami, was it? Or was it against Forrest Griffin, where he started, like, bobbing and weaving his head on the inside and caught him with that big hook? Like, he could do something like that, but I just don't see that kind of thing catching Adesanya. So I do think Adesanya would beat a prime Silva. Kamaru Usman versus GSP. I think... GSP's too much. He's too well-rounded. His wrestling's good enough to fight with him. He fought a prime Johnny Hendricks and able to wrestle with him. It was very even. And even on the ground, if GSP gets on the ground, his BJJ is so high level, it's going to be very hard to keep him there and not get swept or get put into a submission. On the feet, GSP tools with Kamaru Usman. Habib is going to be fighting that guy, right? They're both the GOATs. So we'll see. I'm not going to give my prediction. And I know people are going to ask, what about him versus BJ Penn? Even though I don't think BJ Penn is even the third best lightweight of all time, that's not even a fight. That's too much for BJ Penn. I mean, he already beat Hafa Dos Anjos, so we know what that is. Benson Henderson, he beats him all around. There's a reason why Habib is fighting Tony. Alexander Volkanovsky versus a prime Jose Aldo. Well, the Aldo he fought was not far away from his prime. I'll have to go with Volkanovsky off of what I saw, especially for five rounds. Aldo is known to gas out a little bit. Volkanovsky does not gas out. So that should be more favorable for Volkanovski. Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz. Now that's a good fight. That's an interesting fight. I think Cejudo would win because Cruz does engage fighters. He's not that sort of guy to stick on the outside and do all that sort of stuff. Henry Cejudo will start kicking his legs, but whenever Cruz gets into close or pivots at too sharp of an angle, he will eventually get taken to the ground. And Henry Cejudo is too powerful to engage that much. It all comes down to strategy though, because Cruz is very intelligent and he's very good at knowing what angles his opponents attack on. When he fought Cody Garbrandt, it was a little bit mysterious because Cody didn't fight that way against anybody else. But against Cruz, he showed something completely different that threw Cruz off. He was able to figure out some of TJ Dillashaw's angles and stuff like that. So it's a hard fight. It's a hard fight. If I have to pick, I would pick Henry Cejudo to win. We'll say Davison Figueroa versus Demetrius Johnson. I think DJ would beat him. I think DJ is a little bit too technical. His wrestling, I think, would be the deciding factor. But does that mean Figueroa can't catch him at some point? No, it doesn't. Figueroa also has good takedown defense, and he has really good submissions. Really good guillotine choke. We've seen DJ get into a guillotine choke before by a lesser fighter that Figueroa submitted, and that was against Tim Elliott. Also, Fig is way stronger, way more powerful, and overall, I think a more effective striker. Very dangerous fight for DJ. Very dangerous. But I would go with him to win by a decision, because a major factor is the fact that Figueroa does gas out. Amanda Nunez versus Chris Cyborg. We've seen it happen. Amanda Nunez versus Amanda Nunez. Oh, we'll go down the list. Nunez versus Rousey. She beat her. Nunez versus Shevchenko. Beat her. Nunez versus... We've seen her beat all of them, so it doesn't matter. That's crazy. Imagine having that conversation. What fighter in history has beaten, like, the five greatest fighters of that division's history? There's only one. Amanda Nunez. She did it. Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know who the other greatest flyweight of all time would be. Zhang Weili just defeated Iwana. We know how that goes down. Very good fight, very even. But Zhang Weili has more area to grow than Yoana does. So in the future, I see Zhang separating from Yoana. And then we go to the Milkman. Which fighters do you think are on steroids or performance enhancers and haven't gotten caught yet? Chill Sonnen said he can tell by just looking at their body. Thanks, man. Love the channel. Thank you so much for the question, man. Yeah, I believe Chill. If anybody's an expert in PEDs, that's the guy. Which fighters do I think are on PEDs but aren't caught? That's kind of hard to say because I don't like to say that sort of thing. I know a lot of people's first answer to this is like, I see all your guys' hands jumping up. I see all your guys' hands. Paulo Costa, right? That's the guy. Joel Merrill's probably number two. I know that's what you guys are thinking. If I have to be honest with my opinion i'm not saying they're on anything because i do trust if they're not getting caught that they aren't doing anything i probably say paulo Costa is the number one answer some people will say kamar usman because he doesn't gas out and look how he looks here's the thing i'll say if anybody gets caught i will not be surprised besides if it's chase hooper 
right? If Chase Hooper gets caught, I don't know what to say anymore. And then we go to Infamous X42. How does Sean O'Malley match up against talented featherweights? It's hard to say now, man, because O'Malley's still early in his career. I won't throw him up to the featherweights yet, but if I were to look at his chances against them, when you say talented, who do you exactly mean? Do you mean the top five? Do you mean the prospects? I don't know who to match up up against because the ranked top five is a little bit too hard for him right now. If I look at some of the prospects, like a Calvin Cater, uh, Sadiq Youssef, and those guys... I pump my brakes on them right now too because O'Malley's not a featherweight, right? He's a little bit undersized. I think in the future, for sure he's going up. For sure he's going to go up. But he needs to pack on that muscle to do it because he's a little bit too exploitable, especially he will be in the takedown defense. And then we go to Phony Turgeson. If Tony defeats Habib at UFC 249, who should his first title defense be? Habib rematch, Justin Gage, the number one contender, or a money fight against Conor McGregor? I won't be opposed to a Habib rematch, especially if it's close, but... The talks is that Connor's going to be fighting Justin Gaethje. So it would absolutely have to be the winner of that fight. If I were to say right now, let's say the fight happens today and Tony wins and there is no Habib rematch. Let's say it's so dominant that Habib doesn't deserve a rematch. And the money, we're not even looking at the money side. We'll just say competitively, who should be the next guy? Justin Gaethje. For sure. Add in the money aspect, you would probably have to go to the Habib rematch because it would be also a big money fight, as well as it was the champion. But Connor makes more money. The business would probably go with Connor McGregor. I would go Justin Gaethje. We go to Cyprian Valet. Do you think TJ Dillashaw needs a fight before coming back for his title? And how would he do against a top five bantamweight? Big fan of your work, and I hope your mother's okay. Thank you so much, man. She's doing great. She's adapting to all the side effects that happen afterward. So everything's pretty much normal with her. Now, I do think TJ Dillashaw should 100% have a fight before a title. There's too many fighters in line. There's too much of a log jam on top. You got Josie Aldo fighting for the belt. You got Aljamain Sterling doing something. You got Petra Jan fighting Marlon Moraes. Fig Widow might even jump up. And there is also Dominic Cruz versus Corey Sanhagen. There's a lot of guys that are right there for a title shot. And any of them can get it. It just depends who has the most impressive performance and who the fans want to see the most. TJ, a lot of people don't like him right now. He's pretty much a cheater right now. And that's the worst thing to be in MMA. The worst title you ever want as an MMA fighter. So what are his chances against the top five right now? Not including the champion. We'll look at the contenders. Against Marlon Moraes. I don't see him doing that well. Against Moraes, you have to pressure him just like Cejudo did. Cejudo tried to do the whole thing of moving around a bit and staying on the outside. He was getting torn apart. Once he started marching Moraes back, that's when the openings started to present themselves and he was making Moraes tired. Moraes is not going to get tired unless you push him. TJ doesn't fight that sort of way. So yeah, I think Moraes would win. The light kicks would be a little bit too damaging. And whenever TJ gets in close for those entries, he's going to be meeting someone with dynamite in their hands. And that switch high kick is so dangerous, man. So who'd almost caught TJ with a high kick? Medjo Moraes will do. Eljamain Sterling. This is where I see TJ having some success. I think he beats Sterling. Sterling's nowhere near the kind of striker. He's not going to be able to take down TJ so that's pretty much the end of it. Petrion should be a very interesting fight can be pretty competitive I think the angles and the footwork can get to Petri a bit. Takedowns won't be that effective. I think TJ would beat someone like Petri Jan. Corey Sanhagen would be a very competitive fight. This is what I said before as well. I thought Corey Sanhagen would always be a very hard fight for TJ Dillashaw because he mimics a little bit of what Dominic Cruz does with the fact that he's longer, taller, more powerful. So I do see a very competitive fight, but I do see Sanhagen winning. And then Hafal Sunsau, I think TJ has his way with him again. Now this is all to say if TJ performs very relative to his usual self. If he completely diminishes because the PED's leaving his body, yikes. That's all I gotta say.
And I feel very bad for Henan Barral. They should pay Henan Barral something. They got to give him something from the beating he took from TJ Dillashaw, if that's the case. Like, that man was never the same again. Interesting question by Humil Yunus. Top five fighters that never win the belt and five worst fighters that won it. Okay, top five fighters that never won the belt. Dan Henderson's definitely one that comes to mind. Yuval Merrill's definitely up there. Yuval Merrill might be number one. Gegar Mousasi, for sure. You probably say Hori Mazdal is one of them. I want to say Alexander Gustafsson, but the only reason for that is, is because... He fought so well against the champions. Is that enough? What are his accomplishments other than that? You know, his best achievements were losing to the champions. I don't know, man. That's that's a hard one. Oh, Alistair Overeem. How did I forget about Alistair Overeem? Yeah, for sure, Overeem's another guy. And then top five worst fighters that won the belt. I don't want to look at the female divisions because they're so new, right? So you're going to get a lot of champions that just are not going to keep that belt, right? It's a similar reason why I won't even look at the first champions of the male divisions as well. It's a very similar thing. It's just so early that you're going to get some undeserving champions. You would have to say Henan Barrow. I mean, it's unfortunate, but you would have to. Luke Rockhold, Johnny Hendricks. Would you include interim belts? Because I would say Carlos Condit then. Can you actually say Cain Velasquez at this point? I mean, there's not that many to pick from. A lot of the champions were really good fighters. And I would have to say probably BJ Penn. I know you could look back at the Rico Rodriguez's of the world and those early, early champions, but that's why I'm saying for the same reason I'm not looking at the female divisions, I'm not going to look at those really early champions. And then we go to JT7. Who would win these fantasy matchups? Dillashaw versus Petr Jan. I'll go with Dillashaw. Yari Rodriguez versus Edson Barboza. I would for sure go to Edson Barboza. Again, you cannot fight Barboza at a distance. That goes for pretty much everybody. Dominic Reyes versus Thiago Santos. I will go with Reyes, although that's a very dangerous fight for him. As soon as he gets in too close, that's where the hammers start flying out. And any one of them can put out Reyes. I think Reyes is a little bit too technical. His wrestling's better. And just way better at taking angles and way better at controlling distance. McGregor versus Diaz 3. I'll go with McGregor. Diaz is taking a little bit too much damage at this point. What Jorge Masvidal did to him was just savage. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know if he could take much more. But then again, he has disproven everybody who's thought that in the past. I'll go with McGregor. Miocic versus Jones. The kicks of Jones would be the biggest problem for me as well as the clinch exchanges. Stipe doesn't have a great ability to get in close. Usually that's what fighters want to do to him. His boxing is so much superior, but the kicking is going to be so hard for him to get past. The reach is going to be hard for him. And Jones can take him to the ground. Miocic does have good takedown defense, but can he stop all of Jones' takedowns? Even if they fail, Jones is going to get right into the clinch. That is definitely not where Miocic wants to be at. So I'll go with Jones. Another fantasy matchup question by Ijaz Ahmed. How would you see these matches going? Habib versus Gaethje at 155. I think Habib would eventually win. It would be a tough first two rounds. Probably the hardest first two rounds of Habib's life. But I think he'll grind his way through that. Stay away from the power shots. And then impose his will on Gaethje after that. And I don't think Gaethje will be able to defend all the takedowns. Connor versus Gaethje at 155. I'll have to go with Connor. Gaethje's a little bit too exploitable on the feet. His defense isn't that great. He won't be able to take all of the left hands from Connor before the end of the second round. I think Connor knocks out Gaethje within two rounds. And also Gaethje can be pretty easy to counter, just like Pori displayed. And then Kevin Lee versus Islam Makhachev at 155. I'll have to go with Islam. Islam is definitely top 10 material. Definitely 100%. He might even be top 5 material. Just nobody wants to fight the guy. Islam is much more technical. I would think he's a better grappler on the ground. His kicks are much better. Better with timing. Kevin Lee, even now, I see the defensive holes. I think Islam would eventually win through a decision. And also Lee does gas out a bit, which I don't think is a problem for Makhachev. Sahudo versus Volkanovski at 145. That would be a good fight. 
I know it could be a pretty wild thought of Cejudo going up to 145 after jumping to 135 already, but it is a good stylistic matchup. Cejudo is a better wrestler. Volokhanovsky is stronger and bigger. Cejudo is a better straight right hand. He's more technical when it comes on linear path attacks. Volkanovski is a little bit better on angular attacks, and usually angular beats linear. Ultimately, I think Volkanovski wins. I think he's a little bit too powerful. He's not going to gas out. Too strong in the clinch. His kicks are going to be a huge problem for Cejudo. And what is Cejudo going to do? What he did to Marlon Moraes, and that's march down Volkanovski. That's the last thing he wants to do. So I'll ultimately go with Volkanovski. Till versus Adesanya at 185. That's a bad fight for Till, man. That's such a bad fight for Till. I think he gets countered by Adesanya constantly until TKO. Nunes versus Megan Anderson at 145. Nunes absolutely obliterates Anderson when it comes to the ground. And I know Nunes is really good on the feet. She's very dangerous. Anderson's one of the few fighters I think that can compete with Nunes on the feet. Just the wrestling is a big hole, man. Thanks, man. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, man, for the questions. And then last two questions by Joseph Poe. If you were in Izzy's position, would you have fought Romero any differently? Probably not, to be honest. He was smart at the end of the day. Why run into the danger? Why throw yourself into close range when you could just win at a distance? And then Mangy Mutt. What are your thoughts on Tony saying that he hasn't sparred since his fight with Tebow? Do you think him adding that in now is going to be beneficial or detrimental? And in what way? His preparation seems to be working as it is. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know why he's doing it. He's talking about it before that he hasn't sparred in forever. Same thing with Robbie Lawler back in the day. And Donald Cerrone as well. And when they went through that sort of phase, it helped them. They all competed very well. I don't know why all of a sudden he's going to start sparring. Because Habib isn't much of a striker. So can he just roll a lot more than just spar? I understand if he's going to be fighting Conor McGregor or Justin Gaethje... Sparring would probably be more beneficial because you have these fast, quick attacks coming at you on the feet. But rolling and keeping your regular routine is probably better when you're facing a grappler. I don't know if it's going to be beneficial or detrimental because Tony is probably the kind of guy that sparring is going to hurt him that bad. So I do see being beneficial. How much? I don't think much at all, to be honest. I'm not in his camp, obviously, but... What I see is he probably should just keep doing what he's doing and probably focus more on rolling rather than hard sparring. Now let's go to the Twitter questions here. And we're going to start with at KChunk29. Will the hype be more ballistic if Fury comes over to the UFC and fights at heavyweight? That'd be pretty crazy, right? It'd be a big fight. And he is training, I think, a little bit. He did train with Darren Till and it helped him with the takedown defense against Deontay Wilder. At the end of the day, his wrestling looks very far from where it should be to compete in the UFC. His knees and his elbows look pretty good. And he has said that in the past, he did train in kickboxing a bit. So I do see his strikes being very good. Even in MMA, wrestling might be a bit exploitable to do anything exceptional though. Then we go to at Treadstone. If Tony beats Habib, can he use that same blueprint to beat Usman? Will it also open the door for more people beating cage-reliant fighters? Love the podcast. Thank you so much, man. A very interesting question. It's not the same kind of fighter. Habib and Usman are not the same guy. Though they're both wrestlers and they're not the best of strikers and they box more than they do anything else in the striking, Usman's much better at the center of the cage with his takedowns. He's much better of a traditional boxer, defensively and offensively, and he doesn't kick or knee nearly as much as Khabib does. And also, he attacks a lot more obvious, which possibly can be easier for Tony to exploit. Ultimately, I do think Tony can beat Usman, 100%. I think he has a very good chance. Beating Khabib is definitely going to help him facing a guy like Usman because he's going to be able to feel that kind of wrestling, feel it against the cage, on the ground, all that sort of stuff. Also, the thing is, Khabib is much better on the ground than Usman. Clear across the board, Habib is more dangerous and more capable. Now, I don't think this is going to create a blueprint, but it will help Tony in picking things out of the Habib fight and putting it into the Usman fight. And potentially, this will show fighters, if Tony does beat Habib, how to fight cage-reliant fighters, 100%. And then last question at Ahern Eamon. Is there a case for Tony 
shooting for a takedown in the center of the octagon against Habib. I don't think he'll be successful at getting it to the ground, but can he mix it up with something? Maybe faking takedowns or using it as an official bait or an official look to set up something else. Maybe he goes for a takedown and fails. Fakes the takedown, gets Habib to duck a little bit, and he runs to an uppercut or an elbow or a knee or something like that. That can work. Thing else, uh, not to the top of my head. I don't see it being too beneficial. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to like, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you listen to the audio version of this. And I'll see you guys in the next video.